gather, we gather not just as people who have uh, common interests, but we gather as God's people, and God loves to gather with us. And so there's a lot of different things He calls us to do as we worship corporately, and one of those things, very importantly, is to be before His Word. And so we take time every Sunday to uh, teach and hear the Word and to respond to it. So this Sunday, of course, we're going to look at the story of Easter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 20. We'll project the verses as well for your convenience. Always better to have a Bible in front of you, but, but we realize some of us may not, and so you can watch up on the screen as well. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, just to reflect a little bit, we're going to hear about the Easter story. And for many of us, we've probably heard this story hundreds, maybe even thousands of times. Um, and one thing that struck me about it uh, time and time again for me personally, and I think for all of us, is the irony that this, uh, the most fantastical story ever, can become mundane. It, it just shouldn't be so. We, we hear it, we talk about it again and again, and somehow we seem to miss out on just how earth-shattering and life-changing it is. How central to all of history it really is. Uh, I think about other stories, uh, for, for example, if you are old enough to have been alive on 9-11, uh, that story can never be told, right? If you were there watching that, can never be told without feeling the weight of that terrible day. Um, and yet this story of Easter, uh, of much more profound than any other story, doesn't always carry that weight. It doesn't always feel like, wow, this is such an important story and and it has affected me and the world. We don't always think that way, but we just kind of treat it as, yep, heard that, been there, done that. And, well, thank God that He doesn't leave us there, and He doesn't want us to live there. And this morning is a fresh opportunity by His grace to encounter this story in such a way that we will feel its weight, and our lives will be changed accordingly. He's given us what we need for that to be accomplished. First, the very Word of God. The story has been captured and preserved in, in, in an amazing way for us. And this story is written, in, certainly according to what happened, but in such a way as to capture the weight. And so we're going to take time to, to read the story and then to talk about it. And I trust that the story itself will, will convey to us the, the weight, but also we need the Holy Spirit. Because we can read this a, a million times and not get just what it means. So before I read and before I talk about this, this story, let's pray. And ask that God would help us grasp just how weighty and how wonderful this story is. Lord, we thank you in your goodness. This most important story has been preserved for us to read once again today. And more than that, Lord, that you are interested in us grasping this story and being impacted in just the way you were interested in those who originally experienced it being impacted. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, come and be with us and help us to understand and be changed by your word. You are the living God and we thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter uh, 20. I'll actually start in verse 19 and go through to the end. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. <clears throat> 
Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in His name. God's Word from John 20. We see in this story three different experiences on that first Sunday, that first Easter Sunday. Each party encountering the resurrected Christ. There are three parties, three different experiences here in this section. First, there's the disciples as a group encountering the resurrected Christ. Then there's Thomas encountering the resurrected Christ. And then finally, there is you. Hopefully, encountering the resurrected Christ. Each experience is meant to be life-changing because no one remains the same when they truly encounter the resurrected Christ. So, let's dig in and talk about it. First, the resurrected Christ and the disciples. It begins on Sunday evening. The disciples are locked away, probably in the upper room where they had celebrated the Last Supper. They're living in real fear for at any moment, perhaps, the Jewish authorities will show up and take them captive as well. But there's been rumors going around that Jesus has been seen alive, but very few have seen him. They're living in that place in that moment, that Sunday evening of hope, thinking, is it true? But also fear in light of what has happened. This confusing mix of fear and hope. And I, I think if we step back for a little bit, I think we can identify with that feeling because to have gone through COVID for years is, is to fill us with some fear perhaps, but also as we Lord willing come out of COVID uh, and as we live in God's, the promise of God's care for us, the future care, we, we have hope. And so for many of us, maybe we today feel like the disciples, this mixture of, of fear and hope. And who steps into that confusion but Jesus himself? Somehow, getting past the locked doors, he shows up. We don't know how it happened. Um, 
he just shows up in the room and he perhaps walks into the middle of them. He's standing in their midst. They're probably just waiting in the upper room, biding their time, hoping that things calm down and then they can get out of town somehow. Or perhaps wondering what's going to happen next. And Jesus shows up in their midst in the upper room. It's startling, certainly, if anybody were to show up like that, but this is Jesus. And he is there for their eyes to behold. And he, is, he says something very important at this moment, something that's helpful for them and meaningful in many ways. He says, peace be with you. This is the blessing of peace, the peace of God, the peace that passes understanding. The peace that eventually will be fulfilled when the full reign of God displaces the brokenness of this age. That's the meaning of that blessing. Peace be with you. They needed to hear that, certainly because they would have been shocked to see Him in their midst. But the, the blessing carries so much meaning. He says, peace be with you. And then He shows them His hands and His side. These are the signs of His crucifixion. These are the evidences that it's really Him. This is the one that they thought was completely lost and accursed, having been hung on a tree, crucified by the Roman authorities. This is the one who had died unexpectedly for them, and with him had dashed all their hopes, all their hopes had been dashed. And here he is standing in their midst, saying, Peace be with you, showing his hands and his side. Having gone through the torture and shame of crucifixion, having fully atoned for sin, we know, having finished the work of the cross, having overcome the grave, this is the one who says to them, Peace be with you. This moment is full of meaning. And of course, it's an understatement in verse 20 when it says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <laughs> of course, they were glad at that moment. Can you imagine what they were feeling and thinking and all that was going on and all that they were trying to process? All that this perhaps meant they didn't fully understand yet. We can read in a, a parallel account in Luke 24, Jesus actually explains to them in that context what's going on. So they come to a greater understanding. But I'm sure at first it's just the, the shock that the, 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 the one that they had put their hope in who had then died and crushed their hopes is now alive, having been crucified, having died, showing the evidence of that, and now alive and risen in their midst saying, peace be with you. Just the, that moment itself and the shock of it carried, I'm sure, so much impact in their lives. There's so much that hangs on that moment. There's so much meaning in it for the disciples and for us. Jesus goes on in that context. He again, again blesses them with peace. He blesses them and then He commissions them. He sends them. It's interesting. He doesn't waste any time in getting to the one implication of having encountered the resurrected Christ. To encounter the resurrected Christ is to be changed by Him and commissioned by Him. As He was sent by the Father, so He sends us. Because we have encountered the resurrected Christ. So He sends His disciples in His name. 
Just as he was sent to teach and to demonstrate the kingdom, just as he was sent on mission to rescue the lost, just as he was sent to crash the gates of hell and rescue people and plunder the enemy's camp, so he sends his disciples. The resurrected Christ sends us on his mission. This commission's no em- empty gesture. This is the resurrected Christ. This is the one who's overcome sin and death. This is the one when he says, peace be with you, he's not just conveying a polite phrase, but a promise of deep and everlasting peace that comes under his reign. This is the one who died on the cross, atoned for all the sins of his people, past, present, and future who rose again on the third day victorious over evil, victorious over sin, victorious over the grave. He is there in victory commissioning them. And He is soon going to ascend to the throne of God where He will actively reign from that throne over His church until all His enemies are under His feet, returning and conquering the final enemy, death, and setting up His eternal kingdom. So this is the one who's commissioning his disciples, the resurrected Christ. And he breathes on them to empower them in the Holy Spirit. This is a a precursor, a foretaste of the gift that's going to come on the day of Pentecost where the Spirit is poured out on the disciples, all of them. And from that place is the inheritance of every believer. The The Holy Spirit given on Pentecost to empower us to be his witnesses. So this sending, this commissioning is no empty gesture. It's full of meaning because He's the resurrected Christ. Because He breathes on them. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, is given to us to fulfill this mission. To go with the answer that the world needs. They go with the ability to forgive sins or withhold forgiveness. How does that work? Well, that's simply because they are the bearers of this message, this good news of the resurrected Christ. Overcoming sin and death. There is only one way where there is true forgiveness before God. That's through Christ. And so they are the messengers. We are the messengers of the Gospel. And so we can grant forgiveness. And as the stewards of the Gospel and the stewards of God's church, we together can withhold forgiveness. This is part of the mission and the impact of all that's happening this day. There's not a more momentous encounter in all of history than the resurrected Christ appearing to His disciples and changing everything. For them and for us, He turns fear into boldness. Confusion into clarity. Guilt into forgiveness and freedom. Shame into glory. Defeat into victory. Darkness into light. He does all these things as the resurrected Christ. He changes everything and commissions his church to bring that universe altering reality to the whole globe this all happens as the disciples are gathered together the lord loves to work in and through the gathering of his people and just as they needed him to show up on that sunday evening we too need jesus to show up again and again this morning And every time we gather. Because we need the resurrected Christ to fill us afresh with hope. To fill us afresh with His perspective. 
to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in His presence, and to be commissioned and recommissioned once again to go and by our deeds and our words proclaim the kingdom of God and the good news of Christ. We need fresh encounters. We carry confusion where there should be clarity. We are often controlled by fear versus empowered in boldness. We languish in guilt instead of rejoicing in forgiveness, holiness, and freedom. We let shame define us instead of the glory that is ours in Christ. We live as if defeated instead of as overcomers of, by the blood of the Lamb. We seem more discouraged by darkness than rejoicing in the light. We need this story. We need the reality of the resurrected Christ again and again. This story is given that we might realize we have Him just as the disciples experienced Him on that first Easter evening and to come again and again to Him for power and perspective. That's the first group encountering the resurrected Christ. The next is Thomas. One of the disciples is not there with the group. He misses out on the benefit of being with the gathered people of God even as we have often missed out in this unusual season. Thomas is absent and he's deprived of what he needs really at that moment as a result of not being there. He hadn't been there at the cross. He wasn't there that first Sunday evening. We can learn a little bit about Thomas by looking elsewhere in, in particularly the Gospel of John that speaks of him a good bit. In chapter 11, we read about Thomas. Jesus decides to go to Jerusalem to raise Lazarus from the dead. His disciples try to dissuade him because they know he's a wanted man. Uh, Jesus stands firm, and to this Thomas says, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't think Thomas means this sincerely, but sarcastically. Okay, if he's going to do this, then let's, let's go die with him. That's the, the import of what Thomas means there. He's not happy with that prospect. Later in chapter 14 in John, we, we learn more about Thomas as well. Jesus says, uh, getting them ready for what's going to happen with his crucifixion and what follows is, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I should go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas is that guy's, excuse me, uh, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Um, and to which Jesus gives the famous reply, I am the way and the truth and the life. So as we look at that, we can get a little bit of who Thomas is. I think he's a bit of a skeptic for some reason. We don't know why. Um, he had faith. It wasn't that he didn't have faith, but he struggled. He had questions. He had temptations and doubts. He perhaps relied on his own senses and rational thinking maybe a bit too much. Maybe. We don't know, but maybe Thomas had grown cynical through a life of disappointments and had, had got to the place where he felt like it was just safer to stand on the sure things that his logic and senses would tell him. And he didn't want to get in that place of being vulnerable and believing something that he, that he couldn't prove completely. We don't know. Perhaps for him, the, the crucifixion of the, the Messiah that he believed in was the final straw. Like, I'm just, I'm tired. Every time I put my hope in something, it comes crashing down again and again, and this is the worst of all. So I'm done. I'm done with this thing. And unless I can put my hands in the, the 
scars, I'm not believing it. I'm not going to be a dummy again. I think for a lot of us, we can identify with Thomas. And often when our plans fall apart and our hopes are dashed, we end up in that same place. Cynical. Thinking it's safer just to kind of like, I'm just going to believe what I can be sure of and I'm not going to put myself out again. He doesn't want to hear about it from his friends as they tell him about it. And Jesus does not leave him there. That's the wonderful good thing here. And that's the wonderful good news for us. Jesus doesn't leave us there. He wants us to encounter the resurrected Christ. And so, Thomas, though he thinks he's smart and he's doing the right thing, is in this place. Jesus in His goodness shows up to him. It's a week later. Thomas is there behind a locked door. He's with the disciples, probably arguing about all this, and who shows up but the resurrected Christ? Can you imagine? Can you imagine Thomas at that moment? All of the stuff that probably was going through his mind and his heart. And Jesus says to him, put your fingers here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. And Jesus brings an important lesson for all of us in his response. This is mercy on his part towards Thomas. This is love for Thomas. This is him helping Thomas. And yet, we need to heed his teaching here where he says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a blessing when we don't let ourselves live in cynicism, but we choose to put our faith in indeed what is reasonable, but not necessarily provable in every way you would like. You can't put God in a box, but you are blessed to put your faith in this God who is faithful. This scene is intensely dramatic. Jesus clears up any confusion about His resurrection and presents Himself as the truth. He conquers doubt and despair and confusion and self-sufficiency. Thomas finds his Lord and his God. The church, the disciples gathered, find their Savior and King. But the story doesn't end there. There's one more party in this story. It says in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Guys, you're in the Bible here in John 20. You are in the Bible because you are part of the you. And this story is not given just for the disciples in that upper room, not just for Thomas, but it's given for you. These things are written that you may believe. That you may have the same sort of experience that the disciples and Thomas had. That you might see the resurrected Christ and in that encounter have confusion brought to clarity and 
and, and guilt brought to forgiveness. Shame turned into glory. To hear Him speak and know that in Him there is full forgiveness for all your sins through simple faith in Him. And there's power in the Holy Spirit to be commissioned to make Him known, to love others like He loves. This story is for you and for me. It's for all of us. Christ is the resurrected One who has overcome our sins through dying in our place on that cross, saying in that place, it is finished. It stands finished. It's completed. His atonement for your sin, should you believe in Him, is completed. And you can't live in any other way but fully and always forgiven. Under the resurrected Christ, this gracious Savior and King. And He says to His disciples, peace be with you. We know the peace in Christ and we will know the fullness of this. This is the life. It says that by believing you may have life in His name. Eternal life. Life under the King. That never ends. That's real life. That's more important than the things that this life might throw at us. More powerful than the setbacks we will encounter. There's a life that's eternal in Christ that we have through faith in Him. And so this story is for you as well. Receive Him as the resurrected Christ. Believe in Him. The One who washes away all your sins and grants you eternal life. The One who's risen from the dead. Embrace Him. Confess to Him your need that He is your Lord and your God. Worship Him. Follow Him and make Him known wherever you are. As Toby spoke during the announcements, I want to encourage you, just one way to apply this among so many, is to be a part of Alpha. Maybe for you, you're like Thomas right now, you're thinking, is it true? Am I sure? Maybe there's doubt. That's okay and that's normal. The Alpha course is a wonderful place to process through that. And, and, and we are totally fine in the course. If after processing through, it's like, no, I don't believe, that's fine. It's a great context to ask anything or ask nothing. You don't get called on. It's done throughout the world, across all denominations, um, and just a very helpful way. So, so that's one application. If you're in that place where you're wondering, we encourage you to be part of the Alpha course. The second is, for those who have put their faith in the resurrected Christ, you are commissioned, and a great way to live out of that commission is be involved in Alpha. And probably the first thing you can do is just invite your friends to be a part of it and perhaps help us out with that as well. That's just one application among so many. I think the greatest of all in this is to, to realize and live in the reality that He is risen. He's alive. He's the resurrected Christ, and we belong to Him our sins are forgiven. He's conquered sin and death. He's alive forevermore. And He'll never leave us or forsake us. And we will only, only find that at the end, His promise of peace is greater than we could ever have imagined. Let's pray.